0: On the 16th of March 1978, Christian Democrat Party leader Aldo Moro was on his way to sign a document that would be known as the Compromesso Storico, the historical compromise in which the Communist Party, which had had great success at the recent elections, would finally be given a place at the table. Aldo Moro never made it. In a matter of minutes, he was kidnapped and his five bodyguards were killed in a highly precise military-style operation. The kidnapping was claimed by the far-left terrorist organization, the Brigate Rosse, the Red Brigades. Although, from the very first moment, many suspected the involvement of Italian security agencies, the Italian government, Vatican agencies, and even the CIA. What followed were 55 days in which the nation waited with bated breath. There were over 72,000 roadblocks set up, almost 38,000 home searches. Almost 6.5 million people were involved in the search, including civilians and thousands of police. Almost 3.4 million cars were searched. Not a trace of Mara was found, as he was held prisoner in the heart of Rome. Finally, on the 9th of May, 1978, his body was found in an old Renault 4, halfway between the Communist Party headquarters and the Christian Democrats. In his latest book, traveler, journalist and author Simon Gaul brings together in-depth factual research with an intelligent fictional reconstruction in his conspiracy thriller, White Suicide. Simon is an author of travel books and the children's book Pushkin the Polar Bear, as well as the former owner of the Notting Hill Travel Bookshop of cinematic fame. Simon was kind enough to come on the History of Italy podcast to tell us about his book and to talk about the Moro Affair. So, Simon, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for inviting me. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to have you. So you, you spoke of the Moro affair as Italy's and, and maybe Europe's JFK moment. Can you explain the importance of the affair in a little bit more detail?
1: Effectively, Italy had been a combustible place since well, 1943, which is when the First Republic was declared. Um, right up to 1994, well, 95, I think, was the end of the First Republic. And they had a total of 66 governments in that period. So every six or nine months, you'd have a new government. And it lurched from, effectively, a centre position, be it centre-left to centre-right, with the dissension that that went from the north of Italy right the way down to the south. And the old Italian adage of, Rome, uh, Africa begins south of Rome. So you, you did have two countries. You had the inter- incredible poverty of the South and you had the wealth of the North. So there was always going to be some form of problem. Aldo became a centrist, centrist left politician that understood that in, or- in order for things to really continue, they needed to have an arrangement with the Communist Party. In the last election prior to Moro's kidnap, the Italian Communist Party gained 34.4% of the popular vote. Like it or not, that is more than a protest vote. And they were entitled, as far as they were concerned, and as far as Moro and other politicians were concerned, a seat at the table. Enter into the situation, the Americans, and don't forget, Italy is a NATO country, First line, NATO country. And the concept of having an Italian communist who was paid by Moscow, they were subsidized by Moscow, the entire party was funded by Moscow, sitting at a cabinet table was incomprehensible to essentially a linear country, such as America. It is left or right in America. There is no parliament of like minds trying to move in one direction and a coalition. It doesn't exist. And we're witnessing that today. Yes, especially um, today. Especially today, uh, there is talk of a third party running, and that will just all that will do is just blow everything up. It, America is two dimensional. Italy was and remains three dimensional in that regard. The entry of the Americans and the and the vote of the uh, of the communist party shifted the entire dynamic. It brought uh, the communists again more to the fore. It brought the riots more to the fore. In the same way that John Kennedy and also his brother Robert, to a degree, could be described as centrist in terms of Democrats, they both had leftist slight leanings. Not leftist as we would see it in Europe, but they were centre-left politicians.
0: Yeah, as far left as you could go in America, let's say, without going to the Correct. They were as far left. Mm.
1: Um, And I posit that
0: a combination
1: of, and I can back some of this up, if not most of it, that John F. Kennedy was effectively, I I maintain he was killed by the Mafia, who were in turn in league with the CIA. We can go into that another question, as to state-sponsored sponsorship uh, from the CIA. I mean, I have a list, I've prepared a list for of how many state-sponsored assassinations the CIA have been involved in, going back from 1952. And I can take you right up to 1994, Anyway, that was my view. And my view was also reinforced by the fact when Robert Kennedy was killed. Fine, the, the two weren't joined, but a famous dynasty was extinguished. And with Morrow's assassination, and that was 54 days after he was kidnapped. And I, I repeat, it's, it's it's axiomatic that anything that happens with precision, timing, and everything that went into the Moro kidnap, it, it is not of Italian origin. The, the thought of this ragtag brigade of terrorists, otherwise known as the Red Brigades, carrying out an, a kidnap where ninety-one bullets are fired off and not one of them hits Moro, uh, and yet executes his five-man bodyguard, and then everything happened in ninety seconds. I mean, this is this is effectively impossible to believe.
0: Yeah, by people who had re- no real training with with modern weapons as well. Yeah,
1: not at all. Morrow wasn't not one bullet. There was one ricochet that grazed his thigh, and that was it. And it was all over in ninety seconds. The shooting was marksmanship like. It it it's impossible.
0: So you mentioned the CIA there, Simon. And at a certain point in the book, there's this lovely dialogue between. Uh, I don't want to talk. You know, I don't want to reveal too much. Uh, so there is a CIA agent in the book, and and we'll stop there. And he has. Uh, a conversation with another character, and again, I don't want to mention this character because it's all. they are all things that come out as you read the book, but th- at some point they say, "Coincidences only happen in Italy," which I, I thought was a beautiful line in the book. And as an Italian, I understood that immediately. I knew exactly what you meant, but could you maybe explain that a little bit more for our non-Italian listeners?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd like to. It's it was a, it was a very good question you posed and I'm actually just trying to find my notes on it. I actually my first, my original notes on it was a really good question and thank you and it goes very much to the heart of the book. Italians are and I'm I'm not yes I am going to generalize here. Italians <laughs> are very fatalistic. And the entire concept of of coincidences only happen in Italy. It, you'll find there's some other use of the word coincidences in the book and especially said by I can use the word our hero um, he often says that as a Sicilian, he is always wary of coincidences and whatever follows in the wake of a coincidence. This comes essentially from the Italians' view that they're all fatalists. It's all been planned. Uh, there is no, whatever we do as a nation isn't really going to change what the gods have pre planned for us. So, whatever happens is, well, not of our making. And actually we have no real control over it. And Italy is a country pregnant with coincidences and it always has been. And it is a guiding theme throughout the book. I don't know if that answers your question as an Italian. I mean, what what would your view be on that?
0: Mike? No, I actually agree because as as you were answering the question, Simon, I was thinking how many conversations that I have uh, almost on a daily basis about social political issues, and they sort of end with a deep sigh and the sentence "Abbè siamo in Italia." We're in Italy, as if there's nothing that can be done, you know, about Absolutely. the situation. Where in reality there is, but you know, we, we we don't have the sort of, and we've tried in the past. You know, again, the 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 years you mentioned in the book, the anni de piombo, were sort of a, a consequence of the '68. Uh, revolution period, let's say, and so there have been attempts to try and, and change the course of the Italian uh, ship, if we want to use this metaphor, that the early nineties uh, with the whole Tangentopoli, you know, the the the, the investigations into corruptions, etc. But then we still, in two thousand twenty three, have these conversations and they end in, oh yeah well, you know, we're in Italy as if that sort of explained everything away. So definitely, yeah,
1: and this goes to the morrow affair as to why did the Italians. Then, and to this day, why are they still outraged by what happened? And it's because what happens to, to, if they had assassinated Morrow there and then on that fateful morning, and that was that, that would have been, as far as they were concerned, Mm semi-acceptable. But the 54 days of keeping him under lock and key in the centre of Rome, when i You know, an American president, then Carter, the French president, Giscard d'Estaing, the English prime minister, Callaghan. You could not have kept Callaghan. Carter's d'Estaing tied up for 54 minutes, let alone 54 hours, let alone 54 days. And it offended the Italian sensibility. It became a sense of outrage. Assassinate the man. We've been killing our Caesars for two and a half thousand years. We get that. Nothing new. Yeah. Nothing new in that. Kidnap him, put him on a fake trial, and then kill him and stick him in the booth of an old French car. No, no, no. This offended everything about Italian sensibilities.
0: And, and another element to make you suspect that there was somebody else involved rather than just the Red Brigades, because if it yeah. had been just the Red Brigades, he, may, he probably would have been found a lot sooner. So,
1: Completely. There were
0: 38,000, let's not forget. Thirty-eight thousand
1: mixture of carabinieri, polizia, police; those two don't get on anyway. The army looking for him, and or behind and, all the and civilians.
0: Them, you mention it in the book. the civilians. civilians also, civilians. so volunteers looking for yeah, him. But
1: Morrow was this loved because he was somewhat apolitical. He moved calmly between between the centre left, the centre right. He was an arch politician in that regard, but he did it with calm and decorum. One of his oldest friends, who was his teacher when he was at university, uh, became the Pope and was the Pope at that particular time. He was a very loved individual. He wasn't a polarizing figure like Andreotti or
2: mm. any. He,
1: he wasn't. He, he just glided through with respect from all sides, even the communists.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, you know, they were willing to sit down at the table with him. So,
1: yeah, I just think it outstripped all the fatalistic, coincidental views that Italians had held dear for thousands of years because he was kept alive and effectively
2: taught.
0: So you personally, Simon, sort of were in the area, let's say, in that period between Malta and Sicily during what are called the anni di piombo, the years of lead and different kinds of left wing, right wing terrorism. So what what, what drew you? What were you doing uh, there in that period? And um, how was your time spent there? And also, do you have any particular uh, stories or anecdotes or memories from that time?
1: Yes, I do. Very much so. I remember exactly where I was the minute I picked up a, uh, the Times of Malta, which was uh, the Days of Empire newspaper published every day. It was about the only newspaper and it was in English. And I was sitting in a bar called, uh, not surprisingly, the Britannia Bar, which is, <laughs> by the, which, is, which is by where part of the Royal Navy docks were drinking some rather filthy coffee and smoking a cigarette at the time. And I read this story. And one has to remember that in those days, for example, there was no such thing as a t- television in Malta. Well, there was, but no one spoke. It's it, Maltese and not, there was no broadcasting. And Malta was Sicily being 55 miles away. Everyone had these very tall antennas. And the news stations we listened, we, we watched and the TV we watched was all Italian news. Italian.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the British forces were in the process of being kicked out at that time. They ultimately were expelled uh, on the 31st of uh, March 1979, so effectively one year later. And Malta was in a, a period of flux. And I used to go backwards and forwards to Italy a tremendous amount. There was either a ferry off to Sicily or I'd get on a, um, a cheap flight to, such as they were, to Rome because there was commute flights there or even to Italy, to northern Italy. Uh, In order to supplement my meagre income, I used to buy a Land Rover in, um, it's a true story, buy a Land Rover in Northern England, drive it to Rome. They had this thing about diesel Land Rovers in Italy. Drive it to Rome, where I would exchange it for an Italian car and quickly drive it back. That sounds a lot, but yeah. And I would make two or three times the price of the Land Rover bought from some dealer in primarily Sunderland. Don't ask me why. Um, (laughs) And I had a connection in Rome. Excellent. And in those days you could buy insurance by the day and i could afford three or four days insurance to get a car from rome back to uk and i'd come back to malta my father had his sailing boat there and i based myself in that part of the central mediterranean
0: excellent so, excellent what a literally wheeling and dealing you could say in effectively in order
1: to <laughs> i was trying to make trying to make a way as a as a freelance journalist Mm-hmm. um and as uh, well if you know i'm sure mike it didn't pay terribly well and it was it was a way of it was the way of supplement was a way of supplementing an income and it worked excellent and, and it kept me in a it kept me in an orbit that i thoroughly enjoyed
0: and yeah, then and as, all that driving you must have discovered some lovely little towns and places all the way couldn't afford from... the most ways ah okay exactly so perfect yeah so you would have had to go through towns and villages and explored France and explored Northern Italy it must've been really beautiful anyway. And so speaking about memories, do you remember where you, what you were doing and where you were when you heard of the Maro kidnapping? And then when you heard of the killing or, or the discovery of the body, let's say the discovery of the body. No,
1: I can't remember precisely where I was. I followed it, sorry, the entire uh, kidnapping all along. Um, Where I was precisely, it certainly would have been in that theatre. But I will never forget the photographs and the images. And that's why I make a very oblique mention in the book to Italy had its Zapruda moment. Um, The photographs of Moro trust like a dog in the boot of a Renault 4, a very small car uh, riddled with bullets found equidistant between the headquarters of the Communist Party and the Social Democrat Party. As if to lay the
0: blame on both. To
1: lay lay the blame. And the first that was ever heard uh, in Italy was the Communist Party flag, not the Christian Democrat Party flag, was lowered to half-mast. And a few smart journalists picked up on that. And that's when the news broke, effectively. This wasn't where... Um, the Red Brigades announced victoriously that we have killed Moro. he is here and there. And there was a search of the area. And as I repeat, there was this tatty old car. The boot was lofted open. Um, not a boot, it was a hatchback. And there, trussed up, was the person who was without a shadow of doubt going to be able to form and would have saved an Italy at that time that was splintering. Very much so. You are. You referenced You are. One of the questions you asked me was, um, "What books?" And I, I actually went to my library and I assembled a series of the books here. And one of the books was written the year after, written by an American journalist. It's called "The Days of Roth." Uh, Robert Katz, and um, he goes into some great detail about the way Morrow was um, was found. It brought an end to an era. It really did.
0: And so would you recommend that book as, as a I go-to would, yes. for, for people who want to know more?
1: Um, yes, Robert Katz, The Days of Ross. Um, mm-hmm. There's another great book by a man called Philip Willem called The Puppet Masters. It's called The Political Use of Terrorism in Italy. It sounds sort of a rather terrifying fray, uh, rather, rather terrifying, but it's, it's actually very good. And if anyone's sort of deeper interested in, in Sicily, it's called God Protect Me From My Friends. Mm. Um, it's the true story of the Sicilian bandit, uh, Salvatore Giuliano. Mm-hmm. And that was written in 1956 by a great journalist called Gavin Maxwell, who then went on to write another book called The Ten Pains of Death, which is also set in, in the west of Sicily, uh, which was by far the most impoverished part of the entire republic. And okay. for English readers, again, Gavin Maxwell then went on to write Ring of Bright Water about Tarka the Otter, um, so quite how he went from the springboard of uh, Salvatore Giuliano to the, <laughs> north of Scot- to the north of Scotland and writing a magnificent book about otters is a question still to be answered.
0: Obviously, there's a lot we know about the Mardo affair, and there's still quite a bit that we don't know to this day, and maybe we'll never know. So obviously your novel... Simon is a combination of this very well-researched factual information and what has to be a sort of reconstruction so how close to the possible truth do you feel that your reconstruction is okay that's another really
1: good question going back to that your previous question of the genesis of this book and I knew where I was when Morrow was was kidnapped can't recall exactly when he, I found him, I didn't find him, when he was found trussed up in a boot. But it was many, many, many years later, uh, I was writing an article for, I think, a, a newspaper at the time. I found myself in the west of Sicily, and I'd been fascinated by this story, and I needed to try and find a hook into writing the book. And it was there that I found the hook, and the hook very much became my further considered belief that the CIA were involved. Now, Let me explain one thing, and I'm sure you're very aware of this. There was a a Masonic Lodge called P2, and they were often referred to as a shadow government, and they were often referred to as a government within a government. They were were very fascist. And at the time of Moro's kidnap, members of P2 were very much involved in the Italian government at the time. The three heads of... The three Italian uh, secret services, their MI5s, MI6, Um, I'll give you the, I'll rattle their names off if you need them, but CISDE, CISME, uh, because we're all P2 members. Now, again, P2's associations, known associations, were with the mafia, the Cosa Nostra, the CIA, and NATO had its own version of the CIA called Operation Gladio, which was based in Warsaw. And these three forces were all anti-anti-communist, uh, right-wing. I come back to the manner in which the abduction of Morrow was carried out. The fact that it's impossible um, for the Red Brigades to have carried that out as fluently as they did. You know, one of the examples of their cack-handedness was they—they'd gone uh, the some three of the kidnappers were wearing Alitalia uniforms. And one of the three, uh, the three, the three people had actually gone to a store to buy three uniforms. Um, And that was the first, the first clue that the government got. It's about the only clue the government got. So, P2, ultra right, right wing, the American government statements, public statements made by George Bush, who was then running uh, the CIA, George H.W. Bush,
0: was mm,
1: yeah. then running the CIA, by pure coincidence, of course, <laughs> um, there was no way that an Italian communist minister was going to sit at a NATO table. It wasn't going to happen. And the only way to put a stop to that was to kill the person whose signature uh, was required on the document. And that person was Aldo Moro, And he was kidnapped at five past nine on the morning, he was due to sign that document at exactly 10 o'clock in the House of Parliament. Just to finish off the P2 thing, it was, of course, disbanded in 1982. And it had been a shadow Masonic Lodge uh, since it was, had its charter withdrawn in 1976. So just prior to the Morrow kidnapping, uh, P2 went completely underground as opposed to being underground. And that there is that there is an awful lot of fact up evidence that p2 were in league with uh, I repeat both the mafia the CIA and NATO's own security operation called operation Gladio which is based in Warsaw
0: it's interesting that you mentioned this Simon because I, I keep thinking how sometimes a bit silly you see, you see these really odd re- weird conspiracy theories around when in reality, we have so many real conspiracies that you can choose from without making stuff up, like the whole P two Morrow affair, really. But anyway, I suppose that's human nature as well. So it, 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 again, it,
1: there was that line I think uh, you, you and I were talking about. It. It's not in the book, I don't think, um, where Italians have been killing their Caesars for over two and a bit thousand years. I mean, it, it's. I think there's another line about coincidences in in the book again when it says coincidences are served after the pastor calls.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, conspiracy theories and, um, and coincidences have been served daily in, in, in Italy since day-knows-what. Uh, Dado's um, but this is one where it all came together because primarily the American State Department had semifold this. Morrow was not to be there. Yeah. A month before Morrow was kidnapped, the late Henry Kissinger, Met with Ele- with Morrow and uh, with a CIA agent, warned him. The quote is in quotes in the book that if he carried on doing this, there would be trouble. It was yeah. The only time that Morrow questioned his life in politics, and according to his widow, he very much came close to quitting. I the threat carried agency. It's, no pun intended, the yeah. CIA. The threat carried weight. And Morrow decided to persevere. And one month later, he was kidnapped. He was kidnapped. Exactly. It was a face-to-face meeting with, with Italy's head of station, Kissinger, and Morrow, the three of them. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I tend to believe Eleanor's Morrow, Eleanor, the late uh, Eleanor, his widow's um, view on that. That that meeting took place.
0: And so... Speaking of Italian culture and uh, the Italians and so on, in the novel, you do work, use some words and phrases in Italian among, amongst the English, uh, including the last, the very last phrase of the book, which is uh, in Italian. So w- what sort of um, policy did you adopt? I mean, when and why did you decide to insert the Italian in the book? Um, the- we assume that the characters would be speaking Italian all the time, obviously, with each other, except yes. when they were speaking with the CIA or maybe uh, the CIA spoke Italian as well. and. Uh...
1: I I think you'll find the CIA would have spoken uh, a bit like my Italian, which is agricultural. (laughs) Um, uh, My Italian is particularly agricultural. And uh, my future son in law is Roman. And uh, he was. So if there's any Italian bloops in there, uh, I lay that on Ricardo's shoulders. Um, (laughs) Okay. There's certain delineations in Italian. Italians love their titles, Mm. uh, despite the fact that they're a republic. And so. Everybody has a degree of a title from yeah. engineering, commendatore, to avvocato, dottore, mm. and there are small differentiations in terms of rank. So whilst that is that's essentially very Italian, so I use the titles that people are afforded. Mm. There's a bit where the hero is talking to um, uh, to Prodi, and. Um, such is the nonsense that Prodi is speaking, that he refers to him as Signor. Uh, that, and he says that's title enough for him today. Yeah, yes, yeah, Signor You see, you actually should, be, should have been addressed correctly.
2: As the professor, sentence, pro,
0: because he's a professor. Professor,
1: Professor yeah. pro, yeah. Prodi. Uh, professor of what? I don't know. Read the story and you'll find out. Um,
0: well, he did teach at university point. as well. He did. Yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah.
1: Let's not yeah. let you know. Also, I, is, I is, have a
0: little bit not not so much at the time, but in later life, uh, Pradi did. Came, he came to be prime minister later on, and I I have a little bit of a soft spot for Pradi. So uh, in he, later he did, life, was... that the, yeah,
1: there's another. And you, this again is it's in the book as well. Um, Italian politicians are all given uh, nicknames, and Moro's uh, Moro's uh, nickname was. Um, Translates to you know the proud the, the proud racehorse. Uh, Prodi's nickname was given uh, the one that is il mortadell,
0: <laughs> il mortadellone. After, <laughs> uh, uh, yes,
1: uh, after the rather rather tasteless, vacuous, unpleasant sausage. Um, that which is
0: which started. is the, the, the American correspondent would be baloney.
1: Yeah, baloney. Yeah. Yes, exactly, <laughs> baloney. But the last sentence of the book. Um, it is is in all in Italian. I, my belief is that it's completely understandable by anyone who doesn't even speak a word of Italian, because mm-hmm. it's said it's said in a certain way, and in a certain verve, and I believe it closes the book out particularly well. I mean, the book started in 1944 in Sicily, and it won't say yeah, the last draw it into yeah,
0: yeah. Great, I'll give it away. Okay, and can we find Simon Gould in the novel somewhere? Maybe I don't know uh, Joshua Padden, the journalist and writer who lives in Malta, or or is that another coincidence? Well, he, he actually lives in Gozo, and it's a bit
1: like uh, suppose, an island, yes, off, uh, yeah, island off, yeah, Maltese island. Yes, but you call you call a Gozitan a Maltese, and vice versa. And they and, would not um, be happy, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, they would not be happy. Uh, uh, Gozo has always been the centre of all smuggling towards Sicily, and um, I think, for, for sake of um, uh, for sake of complete clarification here, Mike and I have never met or spoken, yeah. and Joshua Patton, Joshua Patton is a rabid alcoholic. <laughs> um, who, yeah, I'm not insinuating, lives, obviously, but no, <laughs> no, no, of course not. Who lives in a bar um, on the island of Gozo? Uh, Joshua actually, and this could be of some interest to to your listeners, um, Joshua Patton is uh, based on a character who lived in the same house, same everything, and had the same background in Southeast Asia and Vietnam and China as a man called Philip Nicholson, whose pen name was A.J. Quinnell, Mm -hmm. whose first big uh, hit book was called Man on Fire, the last Movie version of it, two were made of it. Was the one with Denzel Washington, mm, yeah, and and Joshua's Joshua is and um, Philip was a dear friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, and Joshua is based on Philip, and I think that's why Joshua was one of the live characters in it in the book because he's based on a man whose life was larger. Um, is there a little bit I, I have um, the hero's penchant for liking to dress in an Italian and casual way. Um, I don't smoke like the hero, but I don't think there's much. There's, I suppose, there's a smattering of me also in the precision in which the way the can I use the word baddie? The antagonist lives. Okay. The 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 antagonist is the head of the Vatican I.E.A., um, which is their version of the C.E.A. called Alessandro Cucci, um, and uh, he dresses in a particularly Italian and classical, simple way. I do the same.
0: And also that that's, I mean, as much as you, you come to hate him, which is probably one of the reasons why y- 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 you can understand it's such a well-rounded, well-done character, because you really hate the guy, but he is so, you know, well-rounded and so uh, masterfully sort of penned character. So well,
1: That's very, very kind of you. I mean, there was that line, I think, that gives him away. He's the only son, and there was a comma, of an only son. <laughs> um, and anyway... With what was it? With with rather more pedigree than wealth. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Would you, you anyway. come across people like that with the uh, rather more pedigree yes, than wealth? Often,
1: especially so. in Italy. Yeah. especially
0: in Italy. So, um, moving slightly away from from the main topic of the novel, um, you show sort of a. a Good under a very in depth understanding of Italian history in general, mentioning uh, anecdotes and uh, stories from ancient Rome. You mentioned the, the the Leonardo da Vinci, the lost Leonardo da Vinci painting, and the Battle of Anghieri between the Republic of Florence and the Republic of, uh, of Milan. So, is there any other moment in history, Simon, that that? Uh, attracts you, that interests you, and that perhaps we can see a Simon Gould novel based in another moment? Or, or would that be a little bit more difficult than a more, let's say, modern novel?
1: Yes, there is. Uh, it, the Unification of Italy, the Demento, um in 1846, from memory, please correct me, Mike, on that. Uh,
0: 1861. But things started to kick off in the, in the 1840s. So the 1840s are an important Sort of prequel to to the to the unification the the first unification eighteen sixty one then obviously uh, Veneto was added eighteen sixty six Rome eighteen seventy so it was a process that went between eighteen sixty one and eighteen
1: seventy. I've always found, especially the manner in which um, that took place, again in Sicily. You know the invasion, the invasion in Sicily invasion wrong word, uh, which inf- informs the background of the book, the Leopard, mm. which is uh, I had. I was asked to do a, uh, a, a thing for Reader's Digest on the three books that changed my life. And I remember being given The Leopard as a child, well, child, very, a young boy by my late father, where I spent an awful lot of time in Sicily, especially around the west of Sicily, poor Sicily. And I found that book quite extraordinary. I'd love to set another book in that period, mm-hmm. but I suppose if I have a, a, a hook at all, which is the the conspiracy theories, and there is no other greater conspiracy theory. I don't think it's conspiracy. I think it's proven fact. It's just a matter of fin- Italy finally accepting it. Because don't forget, Italy still has not forgiven. Um, there's been no closure to the Moro affair. Absolutely. To this day, there has never been any
0: form of closure. Also, because despite the fact that people were tried and And sentence for it it doesn't it hasn't closed the affair, so
1: no, not at all um, yeah I, I suppose that part uh, a book set in Sicily, but i again, I'm in search of a hook
0: also because Sicily is always a minefield, isn't it, it is. <laughs> if you want it to is. set a book in sicily
1: i, I, I I'm not sure that it, because unfortunately you, one doesn't get to until you get to the back of the book and you've read the book do you do you learn? Um, about Lucky Luciano and how the Americans uh, and this symbiotic relationship between the Sicilians, uh, Italians, and the Americans. In 1943 as the Ameri- after the, and 1944, after the invasion of Pearl Harbor, the Americans were seeking to harness for Operation Husky the invasion of Sicily as much forces as they could and the mafia head, Lucky Luciano, was in prison at the time in New York. And he and his partner, Mayor Lansky, were offered, providing they could marshal their, their troops in Sicily, uh, free pardons for all their crimes. And there's no doubt about it. Operation Husky was so successful and it only lasted six weeks with um, a comparatively small loss of life of 5,500 or thereabouts, was due, in fact, to... Um, the American mafias involvement, involvement in yeah, yeah. Harness, it, harnessing their their forces in Sicily.
0: Yeah, but also in the in, okay. the in the United States in New York, the control they had of the yeah. docks. Absolutely,
1: and there's no doubt about that that the genesis of that sort of Italian American involvement started there. And the Americans kept this is the interesting thing they kept to their side of the devil's bargain. In 1946, Lucky Luciano he was released. was pardoned. It was part, he was stuck on a boat to Naples, they kept their deal. And then Mayor Lansky was awarded the Medal of Freedom uh, by Truman in a private ceremony in the White House in 1946. Yeah, he was, Mayor Lansky was the money. uh, Lucky Luciano was the muscle. And between them, they ran, they were quite open about it. It was called the National Crime Syndicate. They weren't hiding behind some some name. They called it the National Crime Syndicate, and the Americans kept their end of the deal. But I mean, t- if you look at it, twenty-two years after that, as far as they were concerned, the Americans, it was perfectly acceptable to go around, kidnap, uh, and later assassinate Aldo Moro because he threatened to bring communism to the to the dining table.
0: Simon, uh, take you off topic. Something I know you're not crazy about mentioning and talking about not only are you a well-known journalist uh, an affirmed writer but also you ran a certain bookshop that if anyone is a fan of british comedy films and particularly richard curtis so the well-known british screenwriter you have a connection there don't you yes i do um i i
1: i, I hope some of your readers would have heard of uh, my bookshop it was called the travel bookshop in notting hill and um that carried on until Amazon put put paid to an awful lot of the independent bookshops in the United Kingdom, I'm afraid. Um, we didn't go broken anyway. We just decided to shut the doors in, in the face of Amazon in about 2013, 2014. But yes, we were the tech consultants on that film um, and uh, in Notting Hill, and it was our bookshop that was used in the film. But actually it was recreated in Shepperton Studios. Okay, uh, yeah, they, okay. They, they built a duplicate of it.
0: OK, well, speaking of which, excellent present or just for your own reading pleasure for our listeners, White Suicide by Simon Gall. Obviously, best bet the best way to go is to buy it in your local bookshop at this point. We can't say, although I'd imagine they can also find it online. Simon, so, mean, can, can you tell us a bit where we can find the book, uh, when it's out and so on?
1: Uh, it's out now. It's also out on Kindle. Uh, the downside of a Kindle is like with, I'm not trying to in any way... Uh, it is the book itself in hardback has maps as mm. endpapers and it has very illuminating maps of, the, um, of Italy and I won't say where the endpapers, as that'll give part of the story away. And it is available, obviously, through Amazon. And if you go to my personal website, which is simongall.com, www.simongall.com, you will find a link where it says Buy. And on that link, there is, you can buy from an organisation of independent private bookshops. Excellent. As well as Amazon and Waterstones. So you can click to buy it from an independent, which is where I like to try and see people with, again, no disrespect to Waterstones who have been very supportive of the book, as have Amazon. Excellent. But I do think independent bookshops, wherever they be, in your village, and your town, Mike, and uh, in my town, we need our independent bookshops. And so we need Richard Curtis to go into the next independent bookshop and come up with another movie,
0: another movie that can save the independent bookshop. So, yeah. So that is white suicide by Simon Gore out now, get it in your local bookshop. If you can, Simon, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. It's been really, really interesting. I wish we had a lot more time, but uh, that's all for now. Uh, thanks again.
1: Mike, I can't thank you enough for having me on. And again, it's really great to be interviewed by someone who knows his subject. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Greatly appreciated. Thank you again, Mike.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I did recording it. If you have any further questions or comments on what we spoke about, or in general would like to get in touch, you remember you can do so. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com or head over to our website, a historyofitaly.com, where you can click through to our social media links or if you want, become a supporter of the show on Patreon, where you can have access to ad-free episodes and extra content. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, Arrivederci.